Welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans like you. All right. Our show is currently entirely funded by you, as a matter of fact. So I really need to pay attention to that because patrons at patreon.com slash sword and laser are what makes this show happen. Thanks to all the folks who back the show. You are why we're here. We're able to be here now. Uh, there's no other masters but you. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. All right, let's kick things off with what are we drinking? Tom, drinking something festive today? No. Well, got, any, got anything? I'm drinking the milk of human kindness. That's disgusting. <laughs> why is that? I disgusting? don't know why. It just sounds disgusting. <laughs> from the it depends on where the milk of human kindness comes from, I suppose. <laughs> makes it makes a big difference. Uh no, I came down empty handed. I'm running around like crazy doing like last minute errands before the holidays here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and so I, I I had to order some custard for somebody. I had to pick up <laughs> some oysters. Uh and I, I didn't mean to, but I ran down without a drink, so Oh, I'm sorry. I feel bad. I'm drinking the Tullamore Dew that Kevin Hearn gave us. Oh, I like. So you must be a little jelly. I'm, I'm afraid. Quite jealous. Um, but yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I've been working on some holiday cocktails for Thanksgiving this week. I'm very excited. Um, something kind of like a Negroni, but a little more festive, made with apple cider. Ooh, a festive um, holiday Negroni, you say? Yes. Tell me more. Well, it's actually I mean, Ryan. It's one. a recipe Ryan, my husband, found. Um, and cool. so we tested it out the other night, and it was awesome. So I'm very excited to premiere that. Uh, nothing eggnog-related. That's mm-hmm. for later. I'll get gotcha. drunk on eggnog later. Yeah, well, you're going to get some festive frozen concretes of custard from Ted Drew's. Is that so? Yeah, Tom and I made a little bet back in the day, back in ye old days of the World Series of ye old World Series. No, was it the World Series or was yeah, it? Yeah, it was um, the National League Championships. The Championships, right? Because it was when the Cards were playing the Giants, and uh, you know, a little gentleman's bet, if you will. And uh, if if we won the Giants, Tom had to buy my husband Deny his favorite custard, send it to us uh, to enjoy. And if we lost, if the Giants lost, then we would send you ice cream from our favorite place. Um, and so, as history bore out, uh, the Giants won the championship and went on to win the World Series. And so, I've been waiting pretty patiently, I might add. Pretty effing patiently. And, you know, Thanksgiving rolled around, and I'm like, I have to go pick up some ice cream for my guests who can't eat pie. Uh, where is that custard at? I, I really could have used that custard right about now. So, yeah. I sent some threatening text messages. They were mildly threatening. A little threatening. I had a small amount of fear for my life. You should, with good reason. <laughs> and then I got on the phone to Ted Drews, and they were very nice, by the way. They were so laughing. What's it? Oh, you told them. Why they're basically nice like, it's going to be really expensive. And I'm like, I lost a bet. And they're like, oh, so you kind of have to. And I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of stuck. Oh, I feel kind of bad. I, I guess it would have been expensive for us to do the same it thing. Would, yeah, exactly. No, that was the bet. I'm not I'm not trying to like complain about that. I would, that was the known stakes that we had but they were laughing they're like oh well you're not getting out of it now are you <laughs> i can't wait to 
right, I'm so excited. All right, but let's let's move on to the actual first part of the show, the quick burns. All right, well, we have one from Sandra uh, who says, Philip K. Dick's short story, The Crawlers, is getting a big screen adaptation. Uh, we cover a lot of adaptation news here on the show, and uh, we're actually reading, uh, wrapping up a Philip K. Dick book this month, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Um, and as soon as this ad on the wrap stops loading and <laughs> covering the entire page full of ad, I can it's explain more about it. It's The Crawlers. That's the name of the short story. Philip K. Dick, his short stories are a goldmine for adaptation. Well, all of yeah, all of his stuff really is. I mean, we've got Blade Runner, we've got Scanner Darkly, we have Total Recall, Minority um, Report. Minority Report. What else am I missing? Oh, um, there's, there's, we could go on forever. Uh, the Crawlers is set in the late '60s and follows a government land surveyor as he wanders off course into Boyle, Texas, interacts with some strange secretive residents, follows a trail of disturbing rumors, unearths the town's terrifying history probably wrestles with the nature of reality and falls sort of for a girl with sharp features and dark hair. It sounds just, like those a last horror. two parts are just in every Philip K. Dick story. Is this is this a scary book? Is yeah, this, this, this is on the horror. The daddy thing was the first Philip K. Dick story I ever read. And it was about aliens coming down and like taking the skin of humans and replacing them. Oh. And the children like trying to figure out if that had happened to their parents or not. Uh, so he does get in. He does like edge into horror sometimes. Oh, okay. Well, maybe maybe I'll skip this one. Yeah. Instead, you should watch Ursula K. Le Guin's uh, acceptance of the National Book Foundation Medal for Distinguished Contribution to American Letters at the 65th National Book Awards on November 19th. Because everybody, including David, who posted this in the Quick Burns, is just like going crazy. Uh, yeah, so. she's she's kind of a badass. And we'll let you guys watch yourself um, to to hear what she has to say. I didn't get a chance to watch the acceptance speech yet, so unfortunately I'm a little bit behind. Just one little quote uh, that David picked out. He said, we will need writers who can remember freedom. Hmm. Yeah, she is a badass. In fact, I heard her, um, someone quoted her about... Gosh, I can't remember. So much has been going on in the country this this week. I, I can't remember if it was in reference to Ferguson or if it was in reference to immigration reform. Um, but I saw someone quoting her on Twitter the other day, maybe perhaps even from this acceptance speech, in reference to one of those two, you know, very pivotal events that we are going through right now in our nation's history. Um, so yeah, she is she is brilliant, uh, very smart woman, um, and it's definitely worth a watch. I, I I've she added some, it to my to watch list. She had some choice words for Amazon in there. Not by name, but she called them a profiteer. A profiteer. Well, they are, in fact, a a profiteer. Mm-hmm. They are. They are certainly. Well, the, the Wall Street might disagree since their profiteer margins are their not very high. Not been very good. <laughs> yeah, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Interesting. And we have another post from Terp Kristen who says the follow-up to Brandon Sanderson's first Legion novella, novelette, short story, something came out on November 24th. It will be free from Audible for the first month, uh, based on his blog post. The first story was Legion, and the next is Legion Skin Deep. So you can download that over on Audible. Right now, it is for free. I think I will probably do that. Um, right it's kind of like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? If you're an Audible subscriber and you're not going to have to spend a credit on it, get it. And I think the other thing here is this is probably going to bring a lot of people into Audible who want to get the free book. Mm -hmm. But it's not, it's not an advertisement deal. You, know? you just get a free book. It's pretty awesome. Totes. I'm adding it to my cart right now. Me too. I was also. That's kind of why there was an awkward pause there for a second. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll talk about what phone... <laughs> 
I, I'm going to say phone because he's writing about Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, pointed out Pat Rothfuss's World Builders is once again running a science fiction fantasy lottery and auction to benefit Heifer International. They kicked it off last week. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Actually, I, I found out about it because my local sci-fi fantasy bookstore, uh, Borderlands, tweeted about it last night. I was actually over there for our in-person Sword and Laser monthly meetup, um, which was awesome, by the way. Uh, so many great regulars showing up. We had a great time. And uh, there's a lot of good stuff on this auction. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so definitely check it out if you want to donate to a good cause and, and get some rad Wow, stuff. the entire Cards Against Humanity, all of it? All of it. Uh, first edition hardcover of Red Rising, signed by Pierce Brown. Where are you seeing all the all the potential of map from Kevin Hearn's here. Iron Druid Chronicles by Priscilla Spencer, signed by Kevin and Priscilla. Oh crap! I'm definitely gonna jump in here and get some That's stuff, awesome. or try to get some stuff. Oh, the Sailor so Chronicles left. Sterling Silver Charm Bracelet with over 40 charms. I want this map of the Iron Druid Chronicles. I want First it. edition, first printing hardcover of Fool's Assassin, signed by Robin Hobb. All right, well, oh, what? What? Where do you see that? Where is that? Where is it at? Where is it at, Tom? Five days, one hour left. Oh, my God. I just clicked uh, in. I clicked on, on worldbuilders.org. I just clicked oh, on the DVD auctions. It. Yeah, it's just, if it. you just scroll down, it's down there. How much should I? All right, the current bid is $81. Wait, I already... I already uh, I wish it was. I wish it was Assassin's Apprentice. Like I know, I get that it's her new book, but I kind of wish it was. <laughs> Why can't it be another book? Make it be another book. I'll pay more money if it's another book. Uh, well, why don't you get the map of Mike Cole's Shadow Ops World signed by Mike and artist I, Priscilla Spencer? Well, because I want the map of Kevin Hearn's Iron Drawn Chronicle. Well, get that one then. All right, I'm gonna bid on that one right now. I'm gonna bid. Bid on all of them. All of them. Oh, great. Now that I talked about it on the show, people are going to out... Yeah, that's what I just... Now that I did it publicly. For a good cause. I just spent all my money on concretes, but I'm still going to bid. Why do you keep calling them concretes? Because that's what they are. They're they're custard concretes. That's the Uh, local name for them. I've been outbid by an automatic bid placed by another bidder. Oh, okay. This is... This is... you, You need to take a step back. Before we see I, I've been bid up again. Now I'm at eighty-five. Now I'm at eighty-six dollars. <laughs> now I'm at eighty-eight dollars. Now I'm at ninety dollars. Oh my God! How much did they freaking bid? You're just you're just playing like a sniper now. Price on a bicycle. All right, I'm going to a hundred dollars. A hundred dollars. I've already been up bid. Jesus. All right, whatever. Fine. Kevin Hearn. Kevin Hearn, can I just send you? A hundred dollars, and can you just send me this map, and then you can give it to World Builders? Come on, let's just make this happen. What do I have to do to get this? Map? I think that's abusing your position. Is that is that unfair? Is I don't that an unfair know. Advantage. All right. Moving on. Go ahead, Tom. Oh, it's me. Sorry. It's Moving you, on, Veronica. David writes, uh, Wesley Chu has re-signed with Angie Robot Books in a six-figure deal. He's writing a new standalone trilogy set in the same universe as his Tau series. Um, he says, uh, David says, I don't follow Angry Robot that closely, but I hadn't realized that she was having such success as to get such a big deal to follow on his original trilogy. I liked The Lives of Tau a lot, and I thought it had a nice bit of charm. That's awesome. Yeah, I saw this um, on Wesley's Twitter, actually, and uh, I'm really excited for him. That's, yeah, that's wonderful. Too. Yeah, I, saw, I happened to see that. I don't read every post that comes through my Twitter because there's too many, uh, but I did happen to see that one come through, so I was excited for him. Yeah, I'm really excited for him. 
for both Michelle and Rob pointed out the big news that Amazon and Hachette reached an agreement. Uh, many of their book prices have dropped and books are being shipped out much quicker. So essentially they're back to normal. You can pre-order Hachette titles on Amazon and everything. It looks like Hachette won because basically won. Hachette gets to do the, the agency model uh, where they determine the price. Amazon, what Amazon got was the ability to like give them a little more share of the profit if they met lower prices that Amazon wanted, but Hachette can still control the pricing, which is what they wanted, and so they, they win the, more, the most. Where does uh, where do authors fit into this? Who who ends up winning in that in that war? You know, I I hate to say because I don't, I don't really know. Ask an author because uh, I I want to say the authors win if Hachette wins, sort of. But then if Amazon's right and it, and I'm not saying they are, but if they are right and having lower prices would sell more books, then selling more books would be more royalties for the author. So I don't know. Uh, who really wins is that their little stupid fight is over and, and us people who buy books don't have to deal with that stupid crap anymore, <laughs> which is how I felt about it. It's still bidding. I was sort of, I'm like, you know, I don't hate publishers. Yes. But they're both big businesses, and Veronica just got in her, her auction. How much did well, you have I, to go to? I don't want to tell you. I don't want to tell anybody because then they'll it's just public. go automatically I can go to eBay and look. Oh, don't go look. It's one hundred twenty-seven dollars. Oh, well, you just told me. Okay. I told you. That's a lot anyway, of. Money. To, to say Amazon and Hachette, I, they're both big companies, um, and I'm sure there's lots of authors who have great relationships with Hachette and say lovely things about them, so I don't want to talk them down. Uh, I publish things on Amazon. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes they have restrictive things that really are trying to force me into their monopolistic empire. But, <laughs> you know, whatever. Like, it's, it's whatever is best for authors and readers hopefully will end up being what happens. That's what matters, exactly. Uh, Bookshelf writes, uh, next year HBO will have a new series, Westworld, with Anthony frickin' Hopkins, an adaptation of Michael Crichton's 1973 novel of the same name. Uh, always happy to get more sci-fi goodness onto television, and HBO's just been hitting it out of the park with their stuff recently. Um, so this is J.J. Uh, Abrams and Jonathan Nolan. Uh, they created a pilot for this, uh, the adaptation, and Apparently, there's some really amazing people that are fl fleshing out the cast so far. Um, so we've got Anthony Hopkins, as I mentioned, James Marsden, Evan Rachel Wood, and Thandie Newton um, are going to portray androids uh, that can be killed and replaced frequently. Um, and so they get to then play a lot of different kinds of characters because they're, well, I'm assuming they're the same model of android. It's kind of like, yeah. do androids dream of electric Rachel sheep? Rosen, Pris Stratton, right. yeah. Um, so that's and uh, the cast has apparently already signed multi-year deals for this too. So Ed Harris is in it. Wow! Oh my goodness! Yeah. yeah so there's this is going to be pretty cool. I think it has to do. It's like a theme park, right? Um, so this is this is pretty rad. Uh, I'm I'm always excited uh, about new projects like this, especially something. You know, I mean, J.J. Abrams is so good. He's mm -hmm. he's pretty rad, and yeah, and love this cast sounds. Uh, amazing. So, uh, can we talk about Jurassic World for a second? Sure. I didn't get a chance to watch the trailer yet today. Oh! Though. Everybody's well, like going crazy about it. All right. So the trailers come out. Of course, this is going to be the one with um, what's his face, Chris Pratt, and uh, I love him. And I loved so Jurassic Park is like my favorite movie of all time. Like I'm not even joking. Like Jurassic Park is probably in my top three 
if not my top favorite movie. You know, it's my example of people getting overhyped about something and you not enjoying it as much because you go to see it after they told you how great it was. Did, is that how you I, feel? I, I call it the Jurassic Park effect because I didn't see it the week it came out and everybody was talking about how great it was. And when I went and saw it, I was like, well, it's okay. What are you talking? What do you mean it was just okay? <laughs> That's baloney. Anyway. Anyway, um, I watched the trailer and I'm just I'm like, watching it right now. What I'm I'm curious about is why did they ever think? Why did they ever think it was a good idea to build that park? Did they not learn anything from past mistakes? Did they not say, "Hey"? Okay, guys, so the, that's the premise here is that they've they've actually gone ahead and built the park finally. Yeah, apparently. Even though they had a horrible disaster there. Yeah, that seems like an awful idea. Like what is the? They're crazy, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, and we're gonna make some crazy super." like intelligent, uh, genetically engineered dinosaurs that never even existed in nature. Let's do that. That sounds like a really great idea. You know what we should do is smarter velociraptors. It'll be a scientific marvel, yeah. And then Chris Pratt's like, I don't think this is a good idea, you guys. And then stands there looking all sexy. And then... Um, <laughs> And then, yeah, and then it of It looks course, pretty freaking amazing, actually. It almost looks like he's growing down with the velociraptors at one point towards the Whoa, end. Like he's actually, shark. he's on a motorcycle with the velociraptors. They're not attacking him. He's like running with them. So are they bros? Maybe they're bros. Is he part of the pack? That would be cool. Is he a vibrosoraptor? Vibrosoraptor, perhaps. Um, but I... I Velocibroster? I mean, the, other, the other two movies are, you know, all the other movies were bad other than the first one. So I don't have like really high hopes, but I'm hoping they learned from time. You know, they can look it back on pretty. with the advantage of time and knowledge and make it okay. Can we see David Goldblum again? Jeffrey Goldblum? Jeffrey Goldblum. Why did I say David? His name Who's, is, is that David. His brother? That's his like weird estranged brother, David Goldblum. Oh, sorry, I was looking at Chris Pratt's face and it distracted me. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I can relate to that. <laughs> He's uh, a very right. compelling man. We no should move on. I can talk about Jurassic Park all day. Okay, yeah. I, well, I was watching the trailer while you were talking. So, oh, did you get to the part with the motorcycles and the velociraptors yet? No. he's uh, it, Chris Pratt doesn't come until like two-thirds of the way through. Okay, now he's jogging with them. Or maybe he's running away from them. I'm, I'm not sure. Now well, You'll know running. when he's in the motorcycles with the velociraptors. You'll know. Yeah, this is more of the like getting hunted. All right, let's talk about picks. Uh, we're highlighting picks from our Kickstarter. Uh, we have threads that are posted in Goodreads group. Only one more to go. And we're collecting your thoughts and comments on the books. Uh, when, when we post it, please toss them around. We'll talk about what you guys say on each show until we've covered all six. Uh, these are not official book picks. They're just a way to expose folks to a few more options of things to read out there, and we'd especially love to hear from folks who've already read these. Yeah, and this week's pick is The Secret Route by D.S. Carr, or Carr, which was Carr, C-A-H-R, uh, which was suggested by Ira. Thanks, Ira. Um, so we've got some great comments on here already, and in fact, the author, D.S. Carr has jumped into the thread. He says, uh, I hope everyone here uh, takes the opportunity to check out the book and talk about it with the folks at Sword and Laser before the next podcast. Um, he says he's thrilled that so many people have loved the book and he's very hard at work on book two in the series. And so that's pretty awesome. And uh, Ira says... Um, 
he's exposed a lot of people to this book, and so he's happy to expose even more people. It was a very thoughtful and fun take on time travel and harder sci-fi and YA trappings. And Louise says that uh, she really liked the book, but would probably never have heard of it if it weren't for Ira and Sword and Laser. I found it to be an interesting book that reminds me of plenty of other stories in books and on TV, but as I said in my review, I think that I'm supposed to be reminded of parts of other stories, since that seems to be maybe part of the premise, at least in the way I'm reading it. Um, I liked it, and I'm glad that Ira recommended it. So if you want something a little bit different, uh, check out The Secret Route by D.S. Carr. Yeah, the, uh, the plot is that the entire Garber family is ripped from their Kansas home, separated and transported into a distant and perplexing future, disconnected from everything he understands. Poor 15-year-old Jared Garber must quickly learn how and why he was taken from his prior life back in Kansas. When Eddie Boyd receives ominous notes in her school locker that ask difficult questions about the nature of time, she knows they have to be about the Garbers, and whoever knows the truth is trying to let Edie in on the secret, but... When she and her friend Meg investigate, they're sent to a time when their own families believe them dead. Their friends are all adults, and the world has been radically transformed. So cyberspace, uh, parallel worlds, uh, time travel. Uh, you, if you're into that sort of thing, you might want to check out The Secret Route. And I'm really excited because uh, the next pick is going to be The City in the City by China Mieville, um, as suggested by Andrew. We have a link to that over on Goodreads. And I'm excited about that because I love that book. I love China Mieville. It's a super kind of creepy, awesome book, um, and I think you guys will really enjoy it if you haven't read it yet. So yeah, this is not an official book, as we said. It's just something we're reading on the side to thank our Kickstarters, uh, Kickstarter backers for their support of Season 2 of Sword and Laser Video. So thank you. And you can find more upcoming releases at swordandlaser.com calendar. If you just want to see what's coming out soon, click the link. And we're just saying if you buy the book through that link, it actually helps the show. All right. Well, now it is time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Our first one comes from Marion, who says, What is the one book or series you would give away to someone who is reading sci-fi fantasy for the very first time? Interesting. Way. This is interesting. Instead of just recommendation, but like, hand them the book. Here, mm -hmm. take this. Mm -hmm. You'll need it. So her selection is The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell as the one book that she would give to someone. Uh, she said, I read this wonderful novel finally last year, and I've given several copies away since reading it. And she's got a link to her review as well. Um, John says Ringworld, which I think is a, a great selection. Yep, Miss Bourne books by Brandon, Anderson, Brandon Sanderson. Uh, Terry Pratchett's The Color of Magic, Alex says, but I've actually tried that, and people balk at the first book of a series that's a bajillion books long. thing to remind people about when you give them Terry Pratchett is it's not a series like you have to read them all because that's like a lifelong occupation to try to read all the Terry Pratchett, although plenty of people have done it. It's more like, hey, this is something to read, and if you like it, you know there's going to be a bunch in the universe because mm -hmm. it's not really a... Discworld isn't really like a, a linear series that you have to complete the way, say, Game of Thrones is. And that's what I like about the Discworld books, is that you really can jump around. And we've, we've talked about that chart that kind of graphs out the interconnectedness of all the different series within, under the Discworld umbrella. Um, you know, like the We Freemen and the Tiffany Aching series, and um, what are some of the other ones? Um, 
those are the ones I've read. So of mm-hmm. course, those are the first two that pop into my mind. But I mean, there's like a million bajillion different books and and series under that umbrella. Um, and then Turp Kristen, because she's a big know-it-all, uh, points to three other threads in a similar vein. Like if you had to suggest Bottom one sci-fi fantasy book to someone who had never read in the genre before, what would you select? So you know, it's a popular topic because it's something I think we've all dealt with. You know, we've all tried to expose someone to these genres that we love so much that we're so passionate about. And so of course you want to make sure you pick something really good so you don't screw it up. By the way, Gatawag in the chat room uh, points out that after a bunch of safety recalls, manufacturers still make cars. Jurassic World is the same thing, but with deadly dinosaurs who can't be contained. Also, I kind of forgot we had a chat room for this episode. (laughs) Uh, Another thread over on the Goodreads forum, Rob Secunda says, I have only one credit left in my Audible subscription before we (gasps) part ways for a while. And I'd really like to get my money's worth out of it. Does anyone have any recommendations for really good 24-plus hour audiobooks? It can be something outside of fantasy or science fiction as long as it's huge and a fun listen with a good narrator. A fun listen. Okay, well then I have to take back my pick. <laughs> because <laughs> I wouldn't call it especially Because it's a drudgery that you were going to recommend. It was. It's 84 hours of like vaguely <laughs> using... Reads, uh, but I was going to recommend one Q eighty four, which was also oh, right. yeah, that's a good. Written laser pick, but it is monstrously that's not long. light. It's not lightweight. No, it's not it's a light. Good. Uh, the Great North Road. If you want a good mystery that's m- mashed up with sci-fi by Peter Hamilton, absolutely amazing. It's long, but it's really, really good. I don't know if it's fun. Listen, but it's got a great narrator because he's speaking in the accent. A lot of it takes place in northern uh, uh, Scotland. Uh, mm-hmm. and not northern Scotland, but Scotland, which is the northern part of the Isle of Britain, which is why I said northern. Um, and anyway, it's, re- it's really good. So I would recommend that. Or I am just picked up the Bone Clocks, which clocks in just 24 hours. And okay, so far, so, yeah. so good. I'm only an hour into it. So I don't know if I could really recommend it. But it comes highly recommended. And, you know, I don't know how long it is, but Tina Fey's book is really funny in audio form. Um, Bossy Pants? Bossy that Pants. One. It's, it's, it's probably not long enough for you, but if you want something really fun, that is that is definitely a winner. And I'm going to read um, What's-Her-Face's, her friend's book. Well, there's Amy two. Poehler? I want to read Amy Poehler's book, yes. And I also want to read um, Mindy. Mindy <laughs> Culling? Her, her name is Mindy. Okay, her name is Mindy yeah. on the show, too. Why am I forgetting her name? Oh, yeah, Whiskey. Um, so both all of those are, are on my to-read list for Audible because I like listening to fun stuff. There you go. Right. Some good fun stuff. Absolutely. Now it is time for our Book of the Month discussion, and uh, we're going to announce this month's book pick, and then we're going to jump into a spoilery discussion of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? So if you haven't read that book, or if you haven't watched Blade Runner, I guess, um, feel free to zone out or, uh, you know... Actually... If, even if you've seen Blade Runner, our discussion will spoil the book because the book's quite different. So I hear. So I keep hearing. I still yeah. haven't seen the movie. Well, Veronica, what are we going to read next month? What'd you pick for us? Huh? Huh? What'd you pick? All right. Next month pick is The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. Morgenstern. Aaron Morgenstern. 
Um, I've wanted to read this for a while, and uh, when I announced it, people got very excited. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I have been so far. I just picked it up, and in fact, surprise, surprise, I have a copy of the Whoa. book to give away. That's a nice looking copy, too. Yeah, I bought this at Borderlands last night at our book club meetup, and uh, so we're going to do a little, little, not really a contest, more a drawing. So if you are a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash swordandlaser, if you're a subscriber at any level, you will automatically be entered to win. Um, I'll, we'll do the drawing probably at the end of this week to give you a little time to listen to the show and get your name in the hat. Um, so yeah, Friday I'll pick a winner, and then I'll email you. So let's do this. You have to be a patron by Thursday because mm -hmm. you'll draw it on Friday and you don't want right. somebody going, well, wait a minute, I signed up to be a patron at 8.30 p.m. on Friday, but you did the drawing at 6, so she's going to do the drawing on Friday, but we're, we're saying become a patron by Thursday if you want to be on the, in on the drawing. Absolutely. And then I'll, say, I'll shoot you an email and you'll send us your address and then we'll send you the book. All and right. Book club, you know, stickers and doodads and the whatnot. Yeah, whatnots. We got all kinds of whatnots. All right. Take a breath. <sighs> People, time to turn it off. You don't want to be spoiled because we're going to talk about Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, a.k.a. Blade Runner, the novelization, which irks me still. Every time I turned on my audiobook and I saw the Blade Runner was the title, I was just like, ugh, it's not Blade Runner. And I know you've never seen the movie. There actually is more Blade Runner in there than I remembered going back through it again, I was like, oh, that's actually kind of similar. Uh, and it's J.F. Sebastian, not J.R. Isidore. Um, you know, there's there's no Mercer in Blade Runner at all. There's no Buster Friendly at yeah, all. Yeah, there's no electric animals, right? There's no, there are electric animals, but they're very much a sideline. Uh, okay. He runs through a shop that makes electric animals. And I think somebody has an owl. I think, I think uh, the Tyrell guy, a guy at the Tyrell Corporation has an owl. Uh, that's electric, but it's not. It's not a plot point. The way it's like the the plot point in in the book. Oh, well, I'm kind of disappointed. You know, because I was I was I read the book first. I'm one of those guys now that read the book yeah. before I saw the movie. And I actually think it's fine because you can now go see the movie and not be thinking like I want to see the book. Do androids dream of electric sheep turned into a movie? You're seeing a movie. You're like, oh, that's kind of like Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. So where do um where does the, the name Blade Runner come from? Blade Runner in the movie is what they call the bounty hunters because they run the blade through the androids. Not, I mean, they they use laser guns, but it's kind of an old-fashioned name for a bounty hunter. Oh, oh, okay. And and in the movie that's set in Los Angeles of the future and there's like they make a big deal out of how it's like as Asian as as it is North American now and there's like this big mix of the Asian culture in uh, so he's cool. eating noodles Deckard. that's cool and that's probably also accurate um, yeah, yeah. you know I mean that's that's a pretty good representation of what the future probably that's one be. yeah that's one part of that movie that's held up and like oh yeah there's nothing I see today that would contradict that from still happening someday in the future so yeah. Um, my other question was, why did they need to switch it to Los Angeles? Why did it? Why couldn't it have been San Francisco still? I don't know. A weird, pointless change. I also, mean, the Tyrell Corporation why. is in Los Angeles. He doesn't go to Seattle to go to the Rosen Corporation. Haters. Yeah. Basically, what they did is they said, "Well, that's an interesting world with interesting characters. Let's write a let's. It's fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's write our own story." 
This is yeah. this, it's basically what Ridley Scott's story. And I don't have a problem with that because Blade Runner is a really good movie and a really good story. So as long as you don't think of it as being the same as Do Androids Dream of Electric? So have I have I already ruined it for myself by having read the book first? No, I don't think so. That's what I'm saying. Is like you can enjoy them side by side and be like, oh, there's some similarities, but they're not they're not even the same story. Okay. There's just some similar themes, I guess, is what I would say. Well, let's jump into some of your discussions of uh, Dados. Uh, Drew says, I just finished the book, and my immediate takeaway is something I find a little weird. I'm a little sad that the toad turned out to be electric. I know how you feel. When Deckard found it, I thought we had a happy ending where he could get the mentioned prize for finding an extinct animal and live the life he thought he should with Aran. I'm not sure why I'm dwelling on that detail, but I can't stop thinking about what could have happened in the end. Yeah! Like, why couldn't it have been a real toad? And is it supposed to make us think like, like, oh, you know, these this electric toad has somehow gotten out into the wild. You know, maybe it's just like the real androids. Like, they're just kind of out in the world and doing their own thing and becoming a part of this existence on planet Earth. Like, what what is the takeaway there? Why couldn't yeah. it just have been a real toad? Philip K. Dick really loves to hit hard on the message of what is reality? Like, what is actually real anyway? And all through this book, he's been slapping you in the face like a man with a fish with the idea that, are the androids really different than us? Maybe I'm an android and I don't know it. Or maybe a schizophrenic would, like, kind of show up on this test to be an android. And if you don't care about androids, does that mean you don't have empathy? Like, he's really kind of trying to hit you in the face of, like, is there really a difference? If all the difference is, like requires a bone marrow test and a and a weird couple of tests for empathy mm-hmm. are they really that different and do they and should they have any less rights and i think the electric toad is supposed to show you that decker still isn't dealing with that he's valuing this toad so much when he thinks it's quote unquote real and then when he finds out it's electric he's dashed and it's supposed to make you realize like it's all in his head the well, toad's still the, the fact toad. that all the androids are total a holes in the whole book. Well, no, yeah, yeah. I mean, for the most part, except for maybe the opera singer. Yeah, Roy Batty every, is, for sure. Yeah, pretty much every android we come no, across. No, the opera singer, um, she's all right. And Ermgard is all right. Pris is, I, I like Pris in the movie much better than this Pris. Uh, this Pris is... is but they all kind of do things where you're like, oh, all right, I see On now why hand, you are not actually empathetic. Decker's really whatsoever. not all that sympathetic all the time, either. So in He's, the future, everyone are assholes. I was going to say, everyone's dicks. Everybody's, everybody. Oh, that was so much better. So much better. I've failed you as a punster. Damn it. <laughs> we made so many dick jokes last night at the at the meetup. It was hilarious. Yeah, it's kind of unavoidable. Uh, and I, I wrote a, a response to this thread to Drew, kind of basically saying some of the, what I just said. And I just avoided saying his name because it just was going to make me laugh. And I was like, mm-hmm. no, I'm trying to be serious. <laughs> Um, but people have differing opinions on on what the toad really meant. Um, so, and they were also sad it didn't make it into the movie. Um, it seems like a lot of the stuff with the animals didn't. Oh, work. I forgot. I think Leon, who is basically a, a version of of oh, I can't remember the Kalopchik or whatever his name is in the book. Uh, Leon has a snake. He has an electric snake oh. in the movie. Kind of like, um, there's an electric snake in our recent vaginal fantasy pick as well. Is that right? I imagine it does different things than the one in Blade Runner. No, it doesn't. 
No. Well, the one in Blade Runner just dies. All right, well, this one unlocks locks and See? attacks people and stuff. But it's yeah, not it does like, a lot of different things. Like I don't know point. why you denied it. Well, because I thought you were making a sex joke. Because Oh, no. And now no. I'm creeped out. At my, own, be... at my own thoughts. My own thoughts creeped me out. <laughs> I mean, the show's called Vaginal Fantasy. It's not that big of a leap. It's not. It's not I really. That there might be a sexy snake somewhere in one of the books you're reading. <laughs> Let's talk about something else. Jay posted, Is everyone a vegetarian or is meat only for the richest people in Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Yeah, we're supposed I think we're I'm pretty sure we're supposed to assume that everyone is vegetarian because there's such a huge amount of 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 importance put on empathy. And, you know, even we we kind of jumped into this conversation a little bit last time. But, you know, they they equate being empathetic with not wanting to harm any kind of living creature. Um, including animals to eat for meat. Um, so that's, yeah, I think that's kind of the thing. So I don't think anyone who wants to have any kind of place in society eats meat because of that in this world. Well, and and not even just that. I mean, that's all true. But the price of animals, right? When you've got a, a guidebook that's telling mm-hmm. you, like, animals are thousands of dollars, who in their right mind would kill one and eat it? Like exactly. You'd, you'd have, have to, to be not just super rich. Like you'd have to be like filthy mega dumb rich to be like, yeah, I'm gonna eat an animal. That's I'm how rich I am. One thousand dollar animal. Yeah. And also convince everyone that I'm a psychopath because right, exactly. Animal. So you have yeah, to be crazy and rich. So I think everybody's eating textured proteins. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, because you, there aren't any animals, and if you eat an animal, be like—I mean, it's not like eating your car because that would poison you, but you wouldn't like melt your car down and make a sculpture out of it. Yeah, well, it's like, or if you raised prized thoroughbreds, you know, for right. show oh, horses, and yeah. they were, you know, a fifty thousand dollar horse, and you were like, nah, I'm just going to eat it. <laughs> actually dogs like people raise like thoroughly pedigreed dogs it'd be like taking that to a country where they eat dogs and selling well, it well did I talk uh, yeah did, I mean did I talk about that on the last episode where I went to China and this is not a China eating dogs th- well, actually it is because in some parts of China when there were starvation issues during the cultural revolution and other times of severe starvation during winter uh, you know anim- it is on record that domesticated animals were eaten, like dogs and cats, and yeah, it's either that or you die. But the point of the matter is, it's not right for us as as Western civilization to judge people for doing that because they're animals. Like you're, you're, we either eat them or we don't. Like why do we prize one animal over another? And I understand that we have this disconnect because I mean, I love I love my dog like a baby. I don't even know how to love babies because I don't have a baby, but I assume it's somewhere around how much I love my dog. Um, I can't imagine eating her, but if I was gonna die, no, I probably wouldn't eat her. I'd probably well, it, it die. Would be, it but, would be a heart wrenching decision. It would be the worst. It would right. be absolutely the worst. But and, but until you're actually starving and like, well, I'm going to yeah. die, you can't really say what you're going to do. You you can't. You can't That's you can't a whole judge another situation. human being for for making those kind of choices. Do I judge the dudes from, you know, the the airplane crash in in the Andes mountains for eating you know their what? dead bros? No, I don't. Because, they were gonna die. because 
I was going to say, yeah, I draw the line of cannibalism. No, I don't even draw the line of cannibalism. There's a point where you can't really, like, understand. Like, I can judge. I can sit here and judge all day long if I want. But I will not really be able to understand what those people were faced with. No. You know, like, you just can't. I tell people all the time, oh, I'm going to eat you first. You look delicious if we're in a situation (laughs) where this is happening. Um. You said that a lot more when I was fatter. I've noticed since I since I started exercising. Does that make you, you feel good or bad? Does that make well, you feel like is that a compliment it or a diss? It me to become healthier and less marble in like, your mm-hmm. eyes. <laughs> All that marbled fat on there, like that's gonna be real life sustaining. I mean, honestly, you look at it. You look at it. Look at me. Old videos on CNET, and I've, I've got the puffy face. Then I meet Veronica. Know her for a couple of years. The hungry look in her eyes. I start I start getting fit. I start losing weight. <laughs> I eat people. I know what side her meat is buttered on. I don't get that reference. <laughs> I don't either. Is that like on the butt side? Was, like what do you trying what to make a bread is buttered she eats people joke, but it just didn't materialize. It didn't, didn't pan out. No. <laughs> didn't materialize. I don't know what's happening. Anyway, moving on, Veronica's a cannibal. Let's let's jump into the next next discussion. Uh, John says, I find it interesting how Dick describes casual lack of empathy. Perhaps the first is when John meets Pris. She's described as wearing only pajama bo- pajama bottoms, um, as if her Pris being topless around a strange man isn't odd at all. Later on, it's during the vote when Roy Batty casually says he would prefer to kill John and hide elsewhere, right in front of John. Uh, Dick doesn't describe these developments as shocking. He simply tells the story and lets the reader decide. Yeah, I had a hard time with this one, especially because I want to confuse the Pris from the movie with this Pris. Mm-hmm. And the Pris from the movie is a pleasure model like avowedly that when when Deckard gets the documents that's what it says she is whereas in the book he makes a big point of like you know that's not allowed androids can't be used for sex even though they are but it's like you know it's an illegal thing mm-hmm. so i'm like well she's not doing this because that's her job but maybe she's doing it because that's how she got things that's how she got out of mars so maybe that's her way of like playing things up but I kind of think John's right it's more of just like a lack of caring or awareness it's like you know. well, the thing, I mean the, the probably the least empathetic moment that I remember from the book is when Deckard just sleeps with Rebecca you know he's got this wife at home and he's like just like Neh. like it, it's almost as though he doesn't even count her as a as Rachel? Rachel 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 yeah. um, who's Rebecca yeah, who's this Rebecca? I read the the additional reading materials uh, with Rebecca the Android. Oh, um, okay. But yeah, he he's just like you know it doesn't doesn't he doesn't seem to care that he's cheating. Maybe he doesn't count it as cheating because she is an android. You know, just that like you know whatever. My wife is at home. I've been doing all this to kind of like elevate our family to a higher status by getting a better animal in the house and now I'm just going to go, you know, do this do this android chick. Like what's what's that all about? Like there's so much basically because that other guy was like, "Oh, you should sleep with an android sometime." Okay, all right, maybe I will. Yeah. He's he's obviously unhappy in his marriage and I I feel like that's part of what's going on there, but you're right. Oh, so he's, he's so he's excused from no, his, no. From I'm not saying I'm, I'm not he's, saying he's excused. I'm saying that it, there is more emotional content there because of that, right? He's lashing out 
but it doesn't feel like it. And I and I think I think that's part of something. And somebody said that. Uh, Ali said I found that his whole writing style was like this. It was infuriating to me, wanting to know the thought process that was going on through characters' heads and not getting it. You get it from Decker a little bit, but yeah, that is not something that Philip K. Dick uh, is as strong or is as important to him, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I. <sighs> all the characters are pretty eminently unlikable, right. with the exception of Isidore, I would say. And I wanted to talk to you about this because I mentioned this in the book club meetup. Was he? Is he smarter than he lets on? Is he smarter than he thinks he is? Is he I, not actually a chicken head? Is he actually a genius? I don't think he's a genius, but I think, again, Philip K. Dick likes to play with, like, what is reality? What are your expectations, and how much are your expectations shaping people? I think he's trying to show, here's this person that is, you know, also, what is it? When you um, ostracized. ostracized. Yeah, yeah, he's ostracized by society. He's called a chicken head. And yes, he has problems. He definitely has issues, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty apparent that he he's socially awkward and he's deathly afraid of getting on the phone and he's a little weird in his social interactions. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have value and he isn't really smart in certain ways. Uh, and I, I think that's what he's trying to show is like, hey, just because somebody isn't 100% normal doesn't mean they're valueless. And J.R. Isidore is a perfect example of that. Hey, we have a question uh, from our audience, from Jules, or Jules, oh, cool. uh, who says, uh, what are your thoughts on a Blade Runner sequel? Mm, yeah, apparently Ridley Scott's not going to direct it. I just read that today. Uh, so I don't know if that's true, but I I don't mind a sequel to Blade Runner. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I'd be a little uncomfortable with someone writing a sequel to Drew Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. That would that, I would be nervous about that. Well, really, that, I think that would be within your right. But I mean, we've seen that be successful in in yeah. other series like sure. uh, uh, Pride and Prejudice uh, and Zombies, for instance. No, that's not what I was thinking no. of. I was thinking more of well, I was going to say Dune, and then I remembered how angry everyone was about some of the Dune books in that series sure, that were yeah. written by other authors later. It's difficult. It's a, well, Wheel of Time is a great example. Wheel of Time is a great I mean, example of it working. Although that's like going from notes, and there I don't think there are any notes for a Do Androids Dream sequel. PPP but okay. is not a, not a big sequel writer, right? No. He doesn't write series. Yeah. Uh, he has one series of three books, the Valus series. That's it. Gotcha. And that's not even finished the third book did never get finished. All right. Well, I think, uh, man, we I feel like we keep getting these really great conversations about the ethics of eating animals. <laughs> Maybe we should do a podcast on that sometime. Well, I, I think what we've been doing is we're letting ourselves sidetrack a little, which is cool because we find that we discover these weird topics. Yeah. And they're inspired by the books, but I know they're not exactly about the book. So I hope I hope people are enjoying that. Let us know if, if you're like stay on topic or if you're like, no, we love it when you when you ramble off in the side roads, you know, as long as you come back. Yeah, at least it makes a longer podcast. You can say that much for sure. Sure. Um so yeah, so just to wrap up, uh, as I mentioned, we have a giveaway for the Night Circus, which is our book for uh, December. December. What month is it? It's the end yep. of November. So this is for December. Um, uh, so if you want to be entered to win that book, head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser and uh, donate at any level, really, and you'll be entered to automatically win uh, as long as you are a Patreon patron uh, by Thursday. That is Thursday Thanksgiving. 
So nighttime on Thanksgiving um, here in the U.S. or November 27th, uh, just become a patron. You will automatically be entered to win. When everyone is stuffed with turkey and pumpkin pie. You think st- about us over here at Sword and Laser. Yeah, go Say, throw us a nickel. That custard made possible by our patrons. That's right. Patrons. <laughs> in part. Made them possible in part. I'm going to call them patrons. Patron. Patron. I am your patron. Donate to Sword and Laser. Donate, donate, donate. 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 Oh, we need to do something with that. We'll stop doing that if you donate. (laughs) And if you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And if you want to call and leave a voicemail, the phone number is 415-7-SWORD-6. We will see you guys next time. So wait, do we have anything weird about the holidays? Or we're just Uh, back on Not yet. Uh, Our next one is December 9th, which is the kickoff for the night circus and that's the normal time although the book club after that which will be the wrap up will be December 16th because otherwise we'd be recording it around the Christmas times so I have to read the hell out of this book real fast yeah me too I think I might have to 2x this one (laughs) alright guys we'll see you next time thank you about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.